Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. And I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Caring for Your Loved One, Living with Metastatic Triple Negative Breast Cancer. This is an important program to offer now. It's a program that indeed is, um, it's a very important program to offer now because it's really, uh, it's something that, that certainly caregivers who um, are caring for a loved one living with metastatic triple ne negative breast cancer um, have lots of needs and concerns. We're going to address them during today's program. Today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Celgene Corporation and a grant from Genentech, and I really want to thank them for their support of today's program. Now, um, we have a lot of participants on the program today. There are 350 people on the program today, and you come from all over the United States. You come from both urban, rural, and suburban communities, and we also have international participants from Canada, Croatia, Egypt, Iraq, Israel, Laos, Philippines, Turkey, the UK, and Venezuela. So it's a bit of a global call as well. And we are very um, delighted to have all of you on the call today. And we have wonderful speakers on our program today. And I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker today is Dr. Elizabeth uh, Cathcart-Rake. And Dr. Cathcart-Rake is staff physician, hematology oncology, St. Luke's Cancer Institute, St. Luke's Cancer Specialist in breast cancer. And Dr. Cathcart Rake will be addressing understanding metastatic triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19, caregiving for your loved one with metastatic triple negative breast cancer, and challenges in communicating with the healthcare team, uh, the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments. It's really my great pleasure now to join this program with my esteemed colleague, Dr. Cathcart Rake. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. So, um, first of all, I just wanted to acknowledge how difficult of a time this is, and I have had um, a number of, of patients and people talk um, talk with me about feeling increasing levels of anxiety, mood changes, and isolation related to both their diagnoses of metastatic triple negative breast cancer um, and also the pandemic. And please just know that there are a number of supports here for you. Um, please reach out to your support network um, virtually. Uh, we have a lot of options for you, and I know a number of the speakers will go through some of that later today. Um, don't hesitate to reach out for, for help because we know this is, this is a really difficult time for everyone and particularly you all. Um, so as far as your care um, in the context of triple negative breast cancer and COVID-19, largely we, we hope and plan for your treatment to be affected as little as possible by this pandemic. Um, triple negative breast cancer we know continues through this and our treatment does too. Um, and so we haven't um, been making big changes to treatment plans 
for triple negative breast cancer in the context of the pandemic in order to preserve your, the quality of your treatment and your life. Clinical trials are largely back up and running. Um, ours are at our institutions, and I think if they, if they were paused at all, most of them are up nationally. Um, I think some of the changes you might see is, um, is just more challenges in terms of travel and in terms of, of as, we, as I mentioned initially, the support network that you might be able to be physically close to in the setting of the pandemic. Um, thankfully, we have been working really hard to adapt to, um, to, to some of these changes and especially these concerns with travel, um, for instance, being able to do some more things virtually, and we've been doing our best to accommodate these changes brought on by the pandemic with virtual and, and telehealth visits when needed and when possible. So in terms of caregiving for your loved one with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Caregivers form such an integral part of any, any person's cancer treatment, and I, I personally wish to expend, extend so many thanks to the caregivers um, who make a daily difference in people's lives. There are a few things that caregivers um, can provide for their, their loved ones with triple negative breast cancer um, that might allow you even more advocacy for them. I think the first one is, is to define, define your role with your loved one and ask them you know, what they would like your role to be in the, the midst of their triple negative breast cancer treatment. So do they want you to ask questions during the visit? Is it okay for you to share your thoughts on how they're doing? Um, is it okay if the care team contacts you directly if they have questions or does your, does your loved one wish to have all questions directed towards them? And then based on, on their answers, you can really feel confident that you're acting on their wishes. Um, I personally find it very helpful to be able to talk with certainly the, uh, the patient but also their caregiver because frequently they can give me different ideas about how things are going and how the treatment is, is, is going and how, um, um, you know, whether, whether there are um, more side effects or fewer side effects. Um, I also think caregivers who um, can help by writing down questions prior to an appointment can be extremely helpful um, because frequently when, when um, someone has this triple negative breast cancer diagnosis, they have difficulty thinking about questions in the moment. Um, I think it's also helpful to talk, talk with your loved ones about physical, emotional changes that you might have seen as their caregiver over the past few days, weeks, or months. And it's helpful to stick to facts. You know, for instance, before, um, you know, when we started this treatment, you could walk this long, and now I can see that you can walk this long. And sharing that with your loved one first, and then um, if they're okay with it, sharing that with their health care team can really improve everyone's understanding of how things are going. Um, and then also just being there to take notes during an appointment. If, if your loved one's comfortable with you being there and if that's okay by the institution, um, just to discuss this later with them and make sure that you heard the same in information. Um, finally, as a caregiver, I think it's very helpful um, and important to engage others. 
um, you yourself may need support and likely need support through all of this to be able to continue to help your loved one. Seek out people who provide that for you, friends, family, or even professionals. And we have, um, we have ways to support caregivers in our institution, as I know a number of, of, of places do. Um, there may be things as well that you may not be able to provide for for um, your loved one, you know, or things that you have time conflicts with. And it may be difficult for your loved one to reach out and ask for additional help. And so just being that extra layer of support and asking, you know, helping them ask for help on their behalf may be really helpful. It's important, um, it's important to engage a community. And I know our community is becoming more and more virtual these days, but that still can provide a much needed uh, benefit for, for everyone. Now there certainly are challenges in um, communicating with the healthcare team, um, especially in the setting of, of the new telemedicine um, opportunities that are offered. Um, these telemedicine tele televisits are, um, have the goal to limit exposure to COVID-19, um, but there are also some other uh, pros of these benefits and benefits to the, these visits. Um, for instance, um, in our institution and num a number of institutions, the uh, a patient isn't allowed to bring their entire family in for a visit, which um, maybe you know maybe not as helpful for some people who really want a large group there to hear this information. Um, and so, a benef one benefit of telemedicine may be that you can have a group of people there, um, a larger group. Uh, virtually to talk um, with the care team. The, another benefit of telemedicine may be that if you're far away or if you have difficulty getting to appointments, this may be easier. You know, it may actually save you a, a long drive that's really hard on, on your loved one with triple negative breast cancer. Um, and, you know, these telemedicine visits do have the benefit of, of potentially not needing to wear a mask. And um, as important as mask wearing is, you know, in these virtual visits, you can safely convey facial expressions, sometimes a little bit more easily. Um, and that's actually something that I've really, um, I've really enjoyed is seeing, being able to engage, engage with people in a different way without the, the protective equipment that's sorely needed in person. Now, there are some drawbacks of telemedicine and, and some challenges with communication. It may, despite the, the difference in facial expressions I was just mentioning, you may have a different experience. It may feel impersonal. Um, and so in that case, it's certainly important to ask for an in-person visit. We can't do a physical exam as, easy, more, as easily on telemedicine. And, um, you know, if you like to combine your treatment days with days visiting the doctor, and frequently that's recommended, it may not be possible to, to do a virtual visit. So it's really important to, to think about these benefits and, and um, potential pitfalls of virtual visits and decide with your care team whether that makes the most sense um, and whether or not telemedicine is appropriate. Um, so with that, I'll hand it back to Dr. Mesner, and I'm open to, qu to questions at the end. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Cathcart Rekha. That was really excellent and excellent discussion, really, of the um, you know the, the, the benefits of, of uh, 
telemedicine, telehealth visits, and um, actually, um, and also just the whole context of uh, of coping with uh, triple negative metastatic breast cancer at this time. So thank you. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q and A. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing taking on the role of caregiving, your important role in decision making, what research tells us about caregivers, and guidelines for social distancing while caregiving. It's really my great pleasure to turn over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Yes, hello everybody, and thank you, Dr. Messner. Um, this is a topic that's uh, extremely timely, um, and there, there are some certain differences in uh, one cancer type to another, and triple negative breast cancer is no exception. So, um, uh, growing on what we've just heard about the virtual visits and how um, a family member or friend can be involved. Uh, this is uh, extremely important. Um, yes, some people found it impersonal, uh, and some people tell us this, and it frustrates us that we can't do physical exams during um, the consult or during the follow-up visit. However, we've also all been in situations where we have an important relative or an important friend or someone who really can help be a decision maker with us um, in another city or sometimes in another country. And they can't, they wouldn't be able to be there for the um, in-person visit. Um, at times in the pre-COVID days and before we were using different telehealth technologies, patients would often ask if their relative could be present by telephone. Um, and um, to some extent, that actually worked very well. It saved on travel, um, and it was very helpful to the patient and to the um, caregiver who was uh, very concerned and would be involved in the decision-making. Um, decision-making uh, can be one of the most crucial parts of being a caregiver. Uh, when we talk about caregivers, we often think about the basic things uh, that somebody may need some help in um, some of the activities of daily living or shopping or cooking or all the, the things that we, all of us need, the very, very basics. But we also know that caregivers uh, will come to, appointment, come to appointments when they're in person, will uh, pick up the function of the scribe um, and take notes uh, about what's been said. And um, at times, and these are not frequent, but they do happen in, in oncology as in every other specialty. Um, patients and their caregivers are faced sometimes to make a decision between two choices that on the surface are um, equivalent um, as far as um, how effective the treatments will be or um, uh, how much of an investment that somebody would need to make in quality of life, uh, um, how many visits back and forth, how nauseous somebody would get, how fatigued somebody would get, uh, depending upon the treatment. And um, those are about equivalent. So it often is portrayed as a personal choice. 
Um, I personally, I prefer not to think of it like that because a number over the years, patients and their caregivers have said to me, we don't know much about this. We need your guidance. You decide. But it, it comes down to a personal choice based upon personal characteristics that are outside of the facts about one, judging one treatment or another. Um, how much, be, and uh, it's common that we think about people who get cancer and who are patients for a variety of illnesses at some point in their, um, in their life where they have established a pattern of how they will um, react when there are obstacles put in their place or challenges that they have. And people characteristically will uh, react in, in, um, in their own way. And that doesn't change because somebody goes on dialysis or somebody needs uh, cardiac surgery or somebody's facing chemotherapy or radiation therapy or uh, cancer surgery. So it's those, those personal characteristics of the person that we don't know before we meet them, um, sometimes uh, not at the best times of their lives, where the caregiver knows the patient best and can be the best source of not only support, but of discussion um, with a, a patient who has to choose between um, two treatments. So uh, although we have been hard pressed to find silver linings in the large tragedy that we've lived through with the pandemic, this may be one of them, uh, that caregivers can actually be more meaningfully participating, even though they're not close by, um, and that's something we need to keep in mind. As far as the issue about uh, research on caregivers, um, uh, this, is, this has been um, uh, in, in the scope of research that's been done in oncology probably now going back 20 or 30 years. And just about all of the studies and all of the opinions of uh, people who really know the literature the best say that if we ask the same question, and it's usually a quality of life question, how bad is your pain, for example, or how tired are you? The patient, him or herself, is the best source of accurate information uh, to answer that question. If we ask the same question to the professional caregivers at the cancer center, um, they often underestimate how uh, uncomfortable somebody is um, for a variety of reasons. Maybe uh, they're a little more, um, they're a little more objective. Maybe they're a little more distance. They may be seeing a patient at his or her best uh, when they come for their visit, not at home, and patients can be a little more candid. But it's the experience of just about all the studies that uh, professional caregivers underestimate and personal caregivers, family members, friends, those involved with the patient on a daily basis, even before I know them from before the cancer treatment, um, overestimate because they are suffering with the individual if the individual is suffering and they feel their pain, they feel almost impotent that they can't do anything about it. So um, this is just something to keep in mind uh, that uh, in, in the research that's been done often and most often the best indicator of how much, how much somebody has any sort of symptom or any sort of distress from their cancer is from the patient, him or herself. Um, I've been asked to talk about social distancing and, and 
telehealth has really taken care of that, but um, it's certainly not the the only thing that only challenge that people are facing with their cancer treatment. Social distancing starts the moment we leave our homes. The kind of transportation we need to take to and from the cancer center, um, even the kinds of people that we let into the home, um, people who are getting home care are having all kinds of um, of professionals from the home care agency come in, be them, be it the nurse, the social worker, sometimes the chaplain, um, home care aides, um, people making deliveries, physical therapists. Some of these things are being done virtually on the telephone or on a video uh, visit. But um, social distancing becomes an, an issue, um, even just getting, getting deliveries. Um, people are confused that they have to wash, wash things down or if they have to leave packages for a long period of time. And sometimes that is just not practical. Um, and uh, who, who should be making visits to the doctor's office and to the cancer center, which treatments can be done at home. All that is uh, imp are important components of the idea of social distancing, but need to be personalized because some treatments can be given at home. Some treatments obviously can't be, um, and a good discussion with the treatment team is really the way to help figure that out. Um, I, I, I believe that we're still advocating uh, that um, using good quality masks, uh, staying six or more feet apart, it could be even further for um, situations where somebody has, is, is breathing deeply. Um, and uh, hand washing and, and using sanitizers and plain old soap and water for the proper amounts of time. These are the things that allow people to be more physically present with each other than they uh, would be if they didn't follow these regulations and maintain safety. So these are times that are a challenge to all of us and there are certainly challenges um, during cancer treatment, be it um, postoperatively or during radiation or during chemotherapy or even on all cancer therapies. So I will stop there and hand the program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. Very informative, very um, helpful to everyone. I know there'll be questions for you during Q&A, so thank you so much. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Sharon Flynn, and Ms. Flynn, is an oncology nurse. She's nurse practitioner, nursing research and translational science, clinical center nursing department, National Institutes of Health Clinical Research Center. And Ms. Flynn will be addressing managing family and friends in the context of COVID-19, coping with each day on special occasions, holidays and birthdays. And we do have holidays coming up now, of course. Um, this is the uh, beginning of the holiday season to some extent. Um, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments to get the most out of these appointments. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Flynn. Great. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for the invitation to be a part of today's esteemed panel. And I'd like to send a warm welcome to all of our caregivers and our breast cancer survivors on this call. And I'm going to first uh, talk about managing friends and family in the context of COVID-19. So in order to keep yourself safe and your loved ones safe, um, this is 
as of um, recently of 2020, this is now going to include wearing a cloth mask over both your nose and your mouth, and will include washing your hands with soap and water for 20 seconds or more, or using a hand sanitizer with at least 70% alcohol content. Now, what I do at, at um, at my institution, what I recommend for my patients is that they have hand sanitizer, a hand sanitizer station at their front door um, and some extra masks. So if someone stops over and they want to talk, um, that they can put a mask on. Um, I can put my mask on or the patient can put their mask on and use hand sanitizer even before coming into the house or if they're just having um, a casual conversation. And I also encourage my patients and their caregivers to just ask that visitor, whether that's a family member or a friend stopping by, if they've had any of the COVID symptoms. Um, as we know, they range from very mild symptoms to um, more severe illness and can appear two to 14 days after the, they were exposed to the virus. And so I have them ask, um, have you had a fever or chills? Um, in the past um, 14 days, a cough, feeling shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. They've had fatigue, muscle or body aches, headache, um, a new loss of taste or smell, a sore throat, a congestion, runny nose, nausea, diarrhea. Um, and if you want to know more about those symptoms, uh, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, website or the World Health Organization, the WHO, um, have great resources um, for learning more about COVID-19. And um, just to keep that in mind when you're allowing people to come into your house to assist with caregiving. And so you might be thinking, oh gosh, Sharon, I just asked you know, my family member about these symptoms. How can they really help during the pandemic? Um, and I want you to keep in mind that you're that gatekeeper. And so it all starts with communication. Um, your friends and family members um, might be from out of town. And so they may not know what the most current restrictions are for your area related to COVID-19. So you'll have to educate them on um, what's allowed. Um, I'm in the state of Maryland and um, on the East Coast, we're, we're constantly in flux with how many um, people can be at, an, at a particular area um, and, and so on. So you wanna be that gatekeeper and know what restrictions are in place um, for your area. And then educate um, anybody that might be coming or planning to come to your house. The next thing is um, what I tell everybody that's a caregiver is to have a list of items that you need help with. Um, do you need help with grocery shopping um, or transportation to or from medical appointments? It could be yard work. It could be taking care of a pet. Um, and I have them make a list of all of those items, no matter how big or how small. And that way, when someone um, approaches a caregiver, they can say, you know, here are the top three things that I need help with that would meet your skill set. So if I had, um, you know, uh, a teenager approach me, um, I might have them uh, walk a pet or maybe pick up some groceries from the store or do yard work. Um, versus maybe someone who's a little bit older, they might be better for transportation needs. So have that list. 
Um, and I know it can be hard to ask and receive for, receive help, but remember that others are often very grateful for that opportunity to do something for you. And when you have a list and are clear about what your needs are, that helps them. Um, another important thing is to use technology to communicate what help you need. It can be through text messages, it can be through emails, or maybe a social media site. Um, and if you feel guilty about receiving help, remember that you can always pay others back when things are more stable in your life. Um, I know when I was faced with a serious health crisis about a year ago, I found it helpful to have a spokesperson to communicate updates to um, friends and family members. For me, that spokesperson was not my caregiver. It was um, a dear friend. But it allowed my husband, who's my care, who was my caregiver at that time, um, to feel less overwhelmed and um, able to focus on me while having my dear friend um, go back and forth with communications uh, with other friends. And so next I'm going to talk about coping each day and um, especially as we're heading towards uh, the fall and winter holidays. Uh, the reality of COVID-19 is that every single one of us um, that's lucky enough to celebrate a birthday, we'll probably celebrate it during this pandemic. Um, we're almost uh, nine months, ten months into uh, the pandemic. So it um, doesn't mean that we have to ignore a birthday or a holiday or a celebration or that we're going to double up in, you know, 2021 or 2022. Um, it's important to take time to celebrate those milestones in life. And uh, COVID-19 just pushes us to celebrate them in a different way than we previously had. Um, so talk to your loved one about how they would like to celebrate um, that birthday, that holiday, that special occasion. Maybe for you, um, having a video call with 10 people is perfect, but for your loved one, it might feel a little bit overwhelming. Um, so you might want to consider limiting the number of people on the call or limiting the time that your loved one is on that call. This is the perfect time to pull out video albums. You can share them online with a video call. Um, it, you can create digital ones for family members. Um, I've pulled out artwork um, that I've shared with older relatives um, to remind them of uh, some funny stories. And speaking of funny stories, it's a great time to share those stories. Um, I bet we've had quite a few during the pandemic of, of things that have, you know, gone awry that have been funny um, that we can share with each other. Um, make those family stories a time to reconnect with each other, um, to remember loved ones who have passed, and to create new family memories. Um, video calls are just one way of doing it um, where everyone is just kind of a face on a screen. I've also encouraged my patients to play games um, uh, during that time. It can be simple games like Battleship or Charades, or we've even played a game called Top 3. Um, it can be Top Anything, but the Top 3 vacation spots that you've been to in your life. Um, maybe the Top uh, 3 TV shows that you're watching, um, something fun for all the generations to um, engage in and share a little bit more about themselves. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I have taken great interest, again, in um, post office deliveries. I used to think the mail, the, sna the snail mail, as uh, sometimes we refer to it through the, the mailbox, 
um, oh, that's just, um, you know, filled with junk mail. But um, now I look forward to each day that the um, postal worker delivers the mail. And I wonder if you do too. Um, encourage family members and friends to send postcards or cards, um, to have um, our loved ones look forward to something. We um, might be able to have socially distanced gatherings depending again on your area's restrictions. Um, I would encourage you if they can be outside as much as possible. Here in the United States, we're heading into winter, so that's not possible um, without maybe many layers sometimes. Um, but I would encourage you to wear a mask, um, not only you as the caregiver, um, but the patient and anyone coming to the house, and try and stay um, six feet apart. Um, and then think about your feelings as the caregiver. Are you feeling anxious or depressed? Um, for many of us, this has been a time of isolation where we haven't been able to um, be in our normal routine. And so um, I want to encourage you to get up and take a walk. Um, it doesn't have to be outside. It can be inside. Um, but but set, your, set your timer um, and take a 10-minute walk just to clear your head or play your favorite song. Call a friend. Um, journaling is a great way to get your feelings down and to process them. Try some deep breathing and meditation exercises. And um, counseling services are available, and I would strongly encourage you to look into this resource. I know that um, our speakers are going to be talking about the services that Cancer Care offers um, as far as innovative support groups and services. And so I'd, I encourage you to look into those. Next, I want to talk about how to, how, how to get you prepared for your telehealth or telemedicine appointment and to get the most out of your appointments. And I want to start this um, by what I tell my patients. Emergencies are still emergencies. Please do not be afraid to call 911 or your emergency line if you have sudden chest pain, um, if you develop sudden difficulty breathing, or another serious symptom that your oncologist has told you to seek um, immediate care for. Despite the pandemic, the emergency room is the best place to triage these types of, of appointments. So please do not hesitate to call that emergency line if you're experiencing serious symptoms. And for your urgent care needs, um, call your primary care provider and summarize those, those symptoms, if you can, into one or two sentences and tell them how long you've been experiencing those symptoms. Fear has caused many of us to delay important um, and even life-saving medical care. And so I want you to remember that help is only one phone call or one click away, so do not delay. And for caregivers, it's tempting to skip those medical appointments because you're focused on taking care of your loved one. And I want you to remember that you are just as important as the loved one you're taking care of. Please do not ignore your scheduled appointments or your cancer care screenings. Um, make sure that your medication refills um, are going forward. And so um, like your in-person appointments, um, to get the most out of your telehealth appointment, you want to be organized. So um, get your technology in order and test it. Um, it's common for the telehealth visits to use platforms such as Zoom or Skype or MS Teams. There's lots of different platforms. Um, sometimes this requires you to download an app on your phone or tablet before the appointment. 
um, make sure you can do this at least a day ahead of time. And that way you can troubleshoot any issues um, before your appointment. And so it won't interfere with your appointment. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I recently had a telehealth visit and I couldn't get the app to download. Um, and so it was just a simple thing that I was doing incorrectly. But I picked up the phone after a little bit of hesitation. Oh, I should be able to figure this out. But thank goodness I called the helpline and they were able to troubleshoot that before my appointment. And so um, as you're getting ready um, for your telehealth appointment, sometimes they offer kind of a telecheck so that you can call um, that appointment ahead of time to make sure that your speaker and your camera are working. If not, you might want to test that with a friend. Um, find a quiet location where you won't be interrupted for your appointment. Um, turn off the TV. Um, keep your pets out of the way. And if you um, have a cell phone in the area, you might want to um, click that onto silent so that you're not tempted to pick up the phone during that appointment. You want to make sure that your phone reception or internet um, uh, Wi-Fi is um, reliable and that the battery on your tablet, computer, or phone is fully charged. If you become disconnected during your telehealth appointment, know what the backup plan is. Um, for our providers, it would be um, a telephone call to you. But you want to know what that is and what phone number they're going to call you on. Please let your provider know if someone else is in the room during your appointment. Most times this isn't an issue, but they just like to know how many people and who's in the room. Um, and I also encourage that other person in the room to take notes, just as you would if you brought them to an in-person appointment. Um, pick up the phone at your scheduled time. And sometimes this is tricky because that phone number might not be one that you recognize from your doctor's office. It might even be listed as unknown. Um, so I want to encourage you to pick up the phone even if you don't recognize that number, if it's around the time of your appointment. Um, again, by organizing your thoughts ahead of time, um, by or I encourage you to organize your thoughts ahead of time by writing down your questions. Keep a list um, and keep that list with you during your appointment. And start with your most urgent symptoms or questions first. Um, as a nurse practitioner, I want to know if you're having a symptom, what makes that symptom better, what makes it worse. Um, I encourage my patients to have a list of their medications handy, and not just the medications that I would prescribe to you. Um, are there other providers maybe providing your blood pressure medicine um, prescription? I want to know about those prescriptions, if you're taking any herbal supplements, vitamins, over-the-counter medications. Um, I want to know about everything that you're taking. Um, remember to wear comfortable clothing, and if you have a wound or a surgical site, um, you might want to take a picture of it um, or be prepared to share um, that site with a provider. Um, so if you do have a, a wound or a rash and you want to show it to me, make sure you're aware of your surroundings. Um, I was recently on with a patient who um, showed me um, a rash on her chest, what she didn't realize when she lifted up her shirt is that she was in her living room and um, sitting in front of a window. Now, nothing was exposed, no one was walking by, but it made us both aware that um, I wanted to bring up to you um, and also to remi as a reminder to me that if you're going to show a body part, um, make sure that you're in a location 
um, where others um, aren't kind of peering through a window or walking by. Um, if you have a fever or if you have a change in your blood pressure or your blood glucose, um, you might want to take a reading right before the appointment or have your thermometer or your blood glucose machine handy because I may ask you, oh, could you take your temperature right now or maybe get um, a blood glucose or a um, blood pressure uh, reading. Um, some things that you um, may or may not need a telehealth appointment for are prescription refills or paperwork. So if you need a sick note from your oncologist or maybe some insurance paperwork, you might not need a telehealth appointment. So you want to check with your oncologist or primary care provider. Um, sometimes you can submit those forms through the patient portal and they will um, complete them for you instead of having a, um, a telehealth appointment. And so um, in conclusion, before you hang up the phone um, or the end of your video call, you want to make sure that you understand what that plan of care is and what the next steps are um, from your provider. I um, often will ask my patients for a reliable email address so I can email them um, that plan of care in a written summary. Um, and I encourage my patients to repeat back to me what they understood the plan of care to be. So for example, if I'm going to get blood work um, today on Wednesday, um, then I would have my patients repeat back to me that I'm going to call them the following day on Thursday, and then if the blood work results are good, then they might come in on Friday for chemotherapy. So understanding that plan is extremely helpful. Um, and in conclusion, um, I just want to remind everyone to wear your mask, to wash your hands, multiple times with either hand sanitizer or soap and water, um, especially um, when people are coming in or leaving your home. And with that, I will conclude. And thank you very much for allowing me to be on this call today. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ms. Lynn. That was really excellent and very, very comprehensive. And I think a lot of takeaways for people from what you said. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker um, is uh, Ms. Haley Dinneman. Uh, Ms. Dinneman is an, is an attorney, and she is the co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And I have to say that uh, Ms. Dinneman has really made it her life's work um, to uh, focus on triple negative breast cancer. Um, she and I met many, many years ago um, at a breast cancer conference um, at which she um, laid out her plan of what she wanted to develop, and she certainly has done that. And today's program is a credit to her um, great support and uh, of, of all programs related to triple negative and, and uh, metastatic breast cancer and how she has contributed to those programs developing and evolving over time. Ms. Dinneman will be addressing triple negative breast cancer foundations, TNBCF, free conferences and programs. And it's my pleasure to turn this program over to Ms. Dinneman. Thank you so much for that introduction, Dr. Messner. I want to take a moment to thank our partners at Cancer Care and my fellow presenters. Uh, today's teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. 
I'd like you to know that all of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the TNBC community, from patients and survivors to caregivers and their loved ones. And to all the caregivers on this call, I want you to know that when I speak of the triple negative breast cancer community, I'm speaking of you as well. You're a very important part of our community, and now with the pandemic's impact on all of our lives, your help in caring for your loved one is even more critical and appreciated. I'd like to highlight a few of our programs, and I sincerely hope that you'll take advantage of them and encourage those you are caring for to do the same. Um, first, we have our numerous educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or also as free downloads from our website. Our popular fact sheet for caregivers um, is one, our Understanding TNBC brochure, and our Treatment Guide for Patients and Their Families. All three were developed with input from members of our TNBC community, as well as our esteemed medical experts. These brochures, as well as all the other educational materials we have, have special sections addressing issues of particular interest to certain members of our triple negative community, including those living with metastatic TNBC and their caregivers. Um, we work hard to make sure that every member of our TNBC community can find relevant information and practical guidance in these materials, so I hope you will use them to your benefit. Um, also, our website, tnbcfoundation.org, we offer two TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services that we're told by many are far less daunting than clinicaltrials.gov. Um, we know what an active role caregivers have in helping identify clinical trials when those are warranted, so we want you to be aware of these valuable matching services. We have TNBC, a TNBC news section, um, and also a favorite of our community is our online discussion forums. These forums allow you to easily connect with other caregivers and with women who are living with metastatic TNBC any time of the day or night. Our community members use the forums to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage their side effects, how to help their loved ones, and anything else related to TNBC. And I think that the most important thing about these forums is that they offer consistent support to our community. So if you aren't currently registered for them, you should consider joining. Um, you can even join anonymously. And I honestly can't stress enough how helpful they've been to so many women and caregivers as well. Um, also, we have two private TNBC Foundation groups on Facebook with many caregivers involved in those. So please feel free to join us. We've also developed new programs to keep us all connected during the pandemic. These highly interactive programs include Pink Table Talk and Tuesdays with TNBC Friends. If you want to learn more about these very popular programs, check out our website, tnbcfoundation.org, or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And finally, it goes without saying that TNBC-specific medical research is incredibly important to our foundation. We don't only support cutting-edge research at leading medical institutions. We also work hard to inform you about any new developments in the area. Um, we have expert scientific bloggers at all the major medical conferences, including at ASCO, AACR, and SABCS. And they work to provide you with updates on new and emerging research and treatment options. So if you're interested in receiving these updates, please follow us online or on social media. And we really hope to connect with all of you soon. So once again, thank you for joining us. And I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Dimon. That was outstanding, and, and your work and your programs are so, so such a, 
a treasure to all of the triple negative metastatic breast cancer community and the, and the triple negative breast cancer community as well. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Lauren Chatelian, and Ms. Chatelian is an oncology social worker, and she is our Women and, and Children's Program Manager at Cancer Care. And Ms. Chatelian will be addressing long-distance caregiving, creative self-care tips to manage the stress of caregiving, and Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's services and helpline. And it's my pleasure now to transfer over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. My role at Cancer Care includes providing supportive services to individuals and families impacted by a triple negative breast cancer diagnosis. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that those affected by TNBC have access to free psychosocial services and support. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides callers with access to comprehensive services. These services include case management, counseling and support groups, educational workshops, and publications. By calling the TNBC Helpline, individuals are connected with an oncology social worker aware of the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when a loved one is diagnosed with TNBC. Whether caring independently with others or from far away, you are considered a caregiver. Caregivers have their own unique set of needs, and although you may not be the person diagnosed, you are living with the disease every day. Caregivers may be tasked with managing, administering treatment, helping their loved one cope with emotional concerns, and taking on practical tasks. To be the best caregiver for your loved one, seek support and information from others. Caregivers who receive help report feeling less isolated and anxious, and having a community of support can help caregivers maintain their physical and emotional well-being, which in turn makes them better able to care for their loved one. Caregivers may choose to supplement existing social networks by joining a support group or engaging in counseling. Many hospitals, treatment centers, and nonprofit organizations offer supportive services. Joining a support group can be a way of connecting with others going through a similar experience. At this time, Cancer Care offers a specific triple negative breast cancer caregiver national online support group. This online support group aims to reduce feelings of loneliness and anxiety, explore new ways of coping for caregivers, increase feelings of hope and empowerment, as well as providing practical information about treatment and resources. There are also discussions about ways to communicate with your loved one as they're going through treatment and all the challenges that may come along with a cancer diagnosis. Our online support groups take place using a password-protected message board format and are led by professional oncology social workers who offer support and guidance. A cancer diagnosis raises many practical concerns and challenges. There are appointments to track and bills to pay, as well as paperwork to manage. As a caregiver, it likely falls on you to manage many of these tasks. In addition to keeping up with your usual responsibilities and filling in for some of the roles that used to be handled by your loved one, understanding your loved one's insurance policy, benefits, um, and even financial options is important during this time. There are professionals at the treatment center who may, able, may be able to navigate some of these concerns. 
such as a financial counselor, social worker, or a patient navigator. Caregivers who are not local to their loved ones, long-distance caregivers, can provide significant emotional support, a listening ear, and social support for their loved ones by phone, text, email, and by video or virtually. You can also help your loved ones to enlist in additional support. This can be by arranging for other friends and family to drop off meals or coordinate transportation. You can also learn about support groups or workshops that they can attend, which may possibly be virtually yeah. at this time. Persons diagnosed may often rely on their caregivers to take on some of the legwork when they don't have the energy. And these tasks Hello. usually take a phone call or email, All so right. they are well-suited for caregivers who aren't nearby. Websites and phone applications may be useful. These include My Cancer Circle, Caring Bridge, and MyLifeline.org. Also, Cancer Care's case management services offered nationally are offered to caregivers and can be focused on finding resources, referrals, and financial assistance with an oncology social worker. Navigating a metastatic triple negative breast cancer diagnosis can be stressful and emotionally difficult for caregivers as well. It's important to make sure that you care for yourself. In addition to individualized or group support I mentioned earlier, Self-care and relaxation practices may be helpful as well, as some of our speakers have touched upon today also. Self-care is the practice of taking an active role in protecting one's own well-being, particularly during periods of stress, and it can be whatever it means for you. Relaxation techniques could be done as a family or with your loved one, taking a deep breath together for a quick reset, or spending a few minutes reading once your loved one falls asleep, or even trying to get some rest yourself. Sitting next to one another, doing word puzzle books during treatment, or finding a game that you both enjoy. This could be your self-care. Self-care does not need to be away from your loved one, but is okay also if you do need some time to yourself. Additional practices that may help to relieve feelings of stress include journaling, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, listening to music, or even connecting with nature by going on a hike or walk. I do want to note that everyone's experience is unique and what works for each person or family may be different, but I do hope this information will be a helpful reminder as we move forward. Also, if you are interested in learning more about the support services the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offer, I encourage you to call our helpline. You can reach us at 877-880-8622, and we're, of course, here to offer you support and look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for your attention and the opportunity to speak today. I'll now go ahead and turn our program back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Shetland. That was really excellent and wonderful, um, wonderful presentation and information for being on the call today. And now we are going to take questions um, from all of you for our participants, of our speakers. Um, so I'm going to ask um, Michelle to bring all of our experts um, on board for the Q&A. And I'm also going to um, ask all of you to go ahead and, um, and ask questions. And Michelle will explain to you how to queue up for questions. Michelle? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. 
We have a question from one of our um, online participants, um, and this would be for to start with for Ms. Chatelian. I'm interested in resources for patients who want to talk to a peer. If you could say something about that. Sure, yeah, of course. Um, there are some great resources, some uh, breast cancer specific organizations that do offer some peer matching. Um, that would be, you know, speaking to someone one on one. Um, you may also receive that through a support group and um, also some of the forums that Ms. Dinnerman mentioned. Um, our online support groups um, would also may offer that, that space. Um, for specific resources, I would definitely recommend calling our helpline, and we can also see what's in your area as well. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and we have another question from one of our online participants. Um, I worked during, well, this question would go to um, uh, to Ms. Flynn to start with and Dr. Fleischman as well. I work during the day, so I am not able to help my sister with chores around the house during the daytime. How can I make sure that my sister will be fine at home by herself? So um, Dr. Fleischman, do you want to start with that one? Sure. Well, that's a hard question to answer in general. Um, if we can't be there, we generally feel badly that we can't. But Sometimes we have competing interests uh, like uh, a job or another responsibility or a school that we can't avoid. Um, I, I've suggested in situations like this to call in favors um, in your life. If you have given favors to other people, um, most of the time folks are ready, willing, and able to help uh, somebody to check in, be it uh, virtually by telephone or by uh, some video or even just a knock at the door um, can help quite a bit. And then uh, set up the things that you can't do during the day that others may um, have to help you with. Um, but I, I found that to be helpful uh, to take the burden off of people who obviously have competing interests and they really need to be in two places at once. And even in a pandemic, that hasn't been possible. Awesome. Thank you. And Miss um, Flynn, do you want to comment as well? Sure. I, I would um, agree with Dr. Fleischman that having that video um, check-in or phone call check-in um, and it can be from someone in the local area, or this could even be a time to tap into some long-distance caregivers. I know that um, if you have friends and family that are in different time zones, sometimes that aligns better with your working schedule um, um, with a check-in than maybe other times do. Excellent. And Ms. Chellian, do you want to add anything as well? Yeah, no, I, I completely um, I completely agree with everyone, what everyone mentioned, definitely. Okay, excellent. Um, and also sometimes, you know, um, uh, your sister, sometimes, you know, um, people may want to participate in a uh, support, if you want to comment, Ms. Um, Chatelian, about our, the online support uh, groups that we have that sometimes can help someone who may be just alone during the day and sort of feeling that that might be a nice connection to others. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, the the online support group program um, is a discussion board that's actually 24-7. So while our social workers will check in throughout the week and offer that support, um, members are able to type in whenever is convenient for them. So that could be, you know, for some it could be, you know, if you can't sleep and, and you want to, you know, type something out or, um, or with someone's work schedule, you know, everyone's schedule is different, but this offers a space to, to be able to do that anytime, um, anytime that that you know works for you, um, and connecting with others, and you know I think we've found such an abundance of members registering for the groups, especially during the pandemic. It's it's a really great source of support. Awesome, thank you. And for Dr. Kathcut Rake, um, what role does a liquid biopsy have in treating triple negative breast cancer? Great question. So a liquid biopsy has been um, an area of a lot of research right now, and um, there's an, a number of clinical trials looking at the role of liquid biopsy um, to get a better sense of, of uh, response to therapy and um, um, and kind of throughout therapy to, to monitor um, how someone is doing. And so um, you know, right now we, we um, don't frequently do liquid biopsies as standard of care. We certainly do um, tumor biopsies and send them off for full genomic testing, and there's a number of different companies that do that. Um, however, liquid biopsies, I, if you're, you're interested in, I would certainly recommend um, getting in touch with your treatment team and talking with them about opportunities for um, for liquid biopsies and then potentially participation in a clinical trial where they're utilized, um, where we can really get a better understanding of how they may be helpful and may augment your treatment plan. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've really been phenomenal. This has been an amazing call. I want to thank all of our participants on the call for asking such great questions. And I also want to ask and want to thank our speakers for their um, really expertise and, and just um, all that they have said during this program as well. And we could go on for another hour. I know there are many more questions in queue. So I do want to remind all of you that this is a one-hour program and that we recognize that um, that uh, you add that there are many more questions. I have some suggestions to make. Uh, for those of you who still have questions or even who asked a question, uh, we do ask you to go back to your healthcare team with what you've learned today and really uh, you know, utilize your healthcare team um, for any information you've learned today and also for any follow-up questions you may have, either to talk to them in a telehealth visit to see them in person. We know that there are regional differences in the country in terms of, of of going to the doctor's office versus telehealth, telemedicine appointments. Um, we also want you to take advantage of all of the services mentioned during the program today, both the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's resources and, of course, Cancer Kids resources. We work together. And so basically at the end of today's program, you will all be getting an evaluation form through SurveyMonkey, and that evaluation form will give you not just the evaluation of the program, but also give you all resources that you can access for getting information. Uh, so, so many resources out there for you. And perhaps the most important thing um, in terms of the pro today's as we conclude the program today, uh, we do not, I do not want any of you to feel alone in coping with triple negative breast cancer, with coping with any type of breast cancer or any type of cancer. I want you to know that you're now part of a very large community of 
of support organizations out there. Cancer Care being one of them, Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation being another, and there are so many others. And so you'll be getting a listing of all of those resources. And um, so in those moments when you feel like I need to talk to somebody or I need to call someone, you're going to have their 800 numbers at your fingertips to use to call them. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all very much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.